A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. I get caught on that give me a drink thing. It's not polite. There's no please or thank you. I can't quite get, is Jesus meant to sound rude or combative? Is he being demanding or dismissive? Is he like me halfway through Lent? Give me a drink, please. (laughs) But these questions, I realize, are questions we ask out of our cultural milieu, our place and time. But what we have here is a pretty stark example of how we can grow in trust, in our trust in God's grace as we engage Scripture, but only if we listen to what is different or jarring to our sensibilities, or uh, somehow other, and seek understanding. And as true as it is of Scripture, it's true also of our own relationships with other people, because we can grow in trust perhaps particularly when we find someone off-putting, or when we judge them disingenuous or unworthy or wrong in some way. It's taken years. Uh, We're coming up on, gosh, we're coming up on 14 years of frustrating, mutually frustrating relationship with our friends in the Diocese of Western Tanganyika. It's taken a long time to understand something really important, a fundamental cultural difference between us. Because we, in America, we tend to say what we mean, what we really mean, in private. And then we do carefully constructed, politically correct statements in public. And so, over and over, we've sat in one bishop's house or another bishop's house, living room in Kusulu, accepting their intimate hospitality and discussing our hopes and dreams for the relationship, thinking we have an understanding that we are going to develop relationship through education and we're going to support the Bible college and so on, only to find we're disappointed again and again. The bishop stands up in church, welcomes his guests, and says, and they are going to help us get transport so we can bring the gospel to more places. And we're thinking, wait, wh- when did we talk about land cruisers again? What, what happened here? How are we to respond? We want to say that the people on the ground know what's most important for ministry. We don't want to impose our cultural assumptions on our brothers and sisters, don't want to disrespect them. We want to learn to grow. We hope our eyes can be opened on and on and on. But goodness gracious, again and again, what's happening? They just want our money? They don't want us? Do they, are they just ignoring us? What's going on? Uh, do they want what, whatever we say and they're going to do whatever they want to do? Let's just forget the whole thing. Let's just back out. We don't need to learn anything here anyway. Completely understandable reactions. As long as everyone behaves as we do and believes as we do and say what they really mean in private. But here's the thing. We've finally begun to get it. For reasons yet to become fully clear to us, as a general rule, the bishops with whom we are in relationship tend to say what they really mean in public. You want to know what they really think? Listen to their sermons. Listen to them in church. They don't want to sully, we think, the hospitality of their homes with disagreement or with negotiation. It's a huge difference, and one that means a lot as we work through what it means for our relationship. They've never said it out loud to us, but you can imagine after we leave them saying, God, they're coarse, you know, the way they try and negotiate in our own living room. Goodness gracious. So this difference 
is important. We have to work through it if we're going to grow in trust. And it's the same thing that happens to so many of us in our most intimate relationships. And we're much better, incidentally, at seeing it in the relationships of others than we are in our own. But when a when, when person comes from one of those families that just lets loose when there's disagreement, shouts and roars and waves their hands around, and it's all blown over in 30 seconds, and they marry someone who grew up in a family where disagreements were dealt with quietly and with precise statements and grudges were held for a long time. And, and, and these two get together and there's some sort of offense. Uh, and I, I will say at nine o'clock, I had to tell a number of people I was not talking about their marriage in particular. <laughs> it's just an example. But so that, so that something goes wrong and the person lets rip, shouting and wailing and gnashing of teeth and arms waving around, and it's all over and doesn't understand why the other person is devastated and hurt by this extraordinarily loud behavior that is just offensive and almost feels violent. And, and there's a distance between them for a long time. They have to start figuring out fundamental cultural differences so that they can both give and receive what they really need as they learn to love one another. It's really important stuff that we listen we listen deeply to find out what's going on. Give me a drink, says Jesus. Give me a drink. As best we can tell, that would have bothered those who heard this story not one bit. They would have been too busy elsewhere. They would have been caught up trying to process that a man was addressing a woman in the first place, a stranger to him. But worse than that, because it wasn't just any woman it was a Samaritan woman, and Jews don't like Samaritans. They worship on a temple in Gerizim, and they, dis they disagree with the move toward Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem. And so they're dodgy to start with. So he's talking to a woman, and he's talking to a Samaritan woman, and he's by himself. And, and even more than that, he's talking to a Samaritan woman who's an outcast in her own community. And he would have been able to twig that because... She came at noon. She didn't come in the morning with the other women or in the cool of the evening to get her water. She came at noon when there would be no one else around. I was at a dinner party the other night and it suddenly twigged me. We were talking about this woman because we were talking about Tuscaloosa, Alabama, on days when Alabama was playing football at home. Right? And we started asking, who goes to the grocery store during the game? Right? And whoever it is, there's something wrong with them right? <laughs> They're really strange. And I thought, my God, that's the woman at the well. All right. She's, she's come when, when no one else is there and doesn't take a, a real profit to figure out she's, she's on the edge of something. She's on the edge of her society. So Jesus is talking to this woman, this Samaritan woman, and this woman who's dodgy, clearly something of an outcast in her own community. But what he does is he consorts with this woman who is parched for real relationship. She's been through a number of men. men. God, think how they've treated her, one after another. These men. She's looking for real love and probably looking for love in all the wrong places. And Jesus, without fear 
undermines the conventions, not only the conventions that keep others down, but also explicitly undermining the power structures of the temple while he does it. Certainly, he says, salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is now coming and is in fact here when true worshippers won't worship in Jerusalem and they won't worship in Gerizim and they won't need all those structures because they're going to worship in spirit and they're going to worship in truth. And he listens to her deeply. And he cuts through all of the cultural norms and expectations. As Harry Pritchett likes to sum up, and he did in a wonderful lecture, spring lecture this past Thursday, he says, people matter more than rules. And that's what Jesus is doing, breaking through all that stuff to listen, to listen to this woman. By the authenticity of her interest, of his interest, he leads her to confession. By his own self-disclosure, he leads her to self-disclosure. He gives her living water in that parched, parched heart of hers, parched for real relationship, and he gives it to her. He gives her salvation because it's humanity recognized. It's humanity honored, perhaps in a sense and to a degree humanity restored and certainly humanity ennobled saved. She is saved. She tells others. Jesus makes clear that many people need this kind of real attention, real experience, what happens when we are heard most deeply and listened to most attentively. He stays two days by invitation, and the community is transformed as the seeds of new possibility are sown in their midst, and many more believed because of his word. And that's often where the gospel begins, noticing, listening, in time overcoming prejudice and mistrust and norms that make us less than we are, allowing others the full dignity of their humanity. Gospel begins again, I want to say something to men, my brother, men, it begins again when we start acknowledging women, we're at a party and ask them what they do, what their jobs are like, what they do all day, what their lives are like. It's amazing. I've started noticing how little we do that. The labor of the vineyard is sustaining to Jesus. It can be sustaining to us who are blessed to hear the real story of another person. Yes, we have a long way to go to overcome deep-rooted sexism in our society. We see, we see it in the regularity with which sexual misconduct and abuse in the militaries in the news, but we see it in a million different ways. And along with many other relational challenges, we have work to do. But addressing this work begins with our asking what we are missing, opening ourselves to the possibility of deepened understanding, listening, and then finding that our trust in the love who made us all for real love is deepened and we too drink of living water. In our customary time of silence for prayer, I invite you to think about who in, you, in your life you know but you've never really understood quite, never really understood what he or she does every day. And consider not only asking, but sharing something of yourself in the process. Pay attention not only to that other person, but to what is being challenged in you as you listen. 
and in such ways you will participate in the work of the gospel and you will find that you are blessed even as you are blessing another. Who comes to mind in the silence? In silence and in response to the gospel, let us